You know, as Tom mentioned, we are continuing on in our series, Unconditional, and we're talking about Jesus as the friend of the fearful this morning. You know, fear can be a, a poison to us as human beings, right? It can, it can torment us. Um, it can rob us of precious hours of sleep. It can preoccupy our thinking. I heard a story that in 1903, uh, in a Chicago theater, um, why a large group of people were uh, enjoying a night out at the theater, someone yelled, fire! Um, to which the comedian on the stage at that time looked over, and sure enough, there was a small fire uh, on the west side of the theater, and he looked out and he said you know, to the crowd, you know, let's, let's calm down, let's not panic, let's try to exit the building as calmly as possible, to which he was met with quite the opposite. The crowd panicked and began to, to try to, to exit as quickly as they could this theater that wasn't designed for a quick exit. And it was said that in the 10 minutes that it took the local fire department to come and to douse out the flames of this small fire, that over 500 people died. Many of them were trampled to death. They, the stairwells were covered with bodies seven and eight feet high because people had stampeded their way out of this theater really puts the term scared to death in a whole new light you know fear is defined as an emotion that is induced by a threat which causes us to in the brain our, our function of our brain to work a little differently for our organs to begin to function differently and ultimately a they cause a change in behavior they may leave us running away and hiding it may leave us freezing in this traumatic event Now, humans fear all kinds of of different things. Fear, in some sense, is exactly how we were wired and created to work. To fear those things that hurt us um, is a form of how God would naturally protect us, that we would run away or we would get away from these things. Yet there is also a type of fear that is persistent, um, that may cause us to do unneeded things. And and that fear is often referred to as a phobia. Now, it's said that only 10% or so of American struggle have actually been diagnosed with this mental block called a phobia, but we can agree that most of us have some sort of phobia. According to a 2014 survey uh, of of Americans, these were the top 10 phobias of of America. The the, the 10th and last one was the fear of thunder and lightning. All right, so Kevin Orpert predicts that there's going to be a thunderstorm, uh, that the rains are going to get bad, there might, might could be a chance of tornado, and this will send some people down into the basement or at least someplace where they can hide and hold on to something. All right? So, so the fear of thunderstorms. Some of you, I see some heads shaking. Yeah, I, I don't really care much for thunderstorms. The number, the number nine one was this, the fear of open spaces. It's called agoraphobia. Interesting. Fear of open spaces. Number eight was the opposite, uh, the fear of closed spaces or confined spaces, the, what we know as claustrophobia, right? Just the thought of going into that two-foot opening of your crawl space will give you the heebie-jeebies, right? Now, my, my claustrophobia only kicks in when there's a group of stinky junior high boys in that same tight area, right? <laughs> then there's uh, number seven, which is this. It is the fear of flying, Right? They the go up in an airplane, they'll take off and landing, they say are the worst for most people with this fear. Then there's the fear of social situations, sociophobia. Put these folks in uh, a crowd, and it's said that 8% of Americans, their palms will begin to sweat, um, their heart rate will begin to rise, and anxiety altogether will begin to heighten. Then number five is the fear of heights. 
Right? Going to the amusement park and going on that ride that leaves them hundreds of feet in the air will leave these people looking down into the trash can below them as they purge themselves of their elephant ear or coney dog. (laughs) Then number four is the fear of darkness. Right? I remember this fear. As a child, my parents uh, left the the, uh, clothes hamper in their their bedroom. uh, And I couldn't get to the light. It was on the fan. And so I would run into the room, I'd throw my clothes into the clothes hamper, and then I would sprint out into the light. Lights, please. All right? Number three is arachnophobia, and some of you are cringing right now, right? That's the fear of spiders. A lot of you men are beginning to walk your fingers up the back of the significant other right now. Right? The fear of spiders. We don't like spiders. Number two, um, it's reported that 68% of Americans have the fear of death or necrophobia. We're going to talk about that one here in a moment. And then number one, the final and the most uh, highly sought after, right? No one wants to publicly speak. So who's willing to come forward and share the rest of our message this morning? Right? The fear of public speaking is the number one phobia. 72% of Americans said that they struggled with the fear of public speaking. However, it was Aristotle that said, he who overcomes his fear will truly be free. But how do we overcome something that is so naturally instinctive in us? The truth is, whether or not you want to admit it, you probably have some sort of fear. Maybe it is tight spaces or, or flying, or maybe it's The fear that you may not be able to pay the bills this month. Or the fear that you may get diagnosed with cancer. Or the fear that you've been putting off that conversation to to share the faith with somebody else. We all have fears of some sort. But I believe in their root that all fears have three things in common. Or one of these three things, I should say. Um, The first being loneliness. The second being the unknown, and the third being death. And you think about it like this. You're, you're afraid of heights because what would happen if you fall from that high place, right? You would, you would die. Or you're afraid of thunderstorms because what if lightning would strike you? You would, you would die. Or, or you're afraid of spiders because what if one of them bites you and you get this poisonous disease and you die? Or, or you fear the unknown of the situation. What else is in the dark room with me? Right? Or, or, or what are people thinking right now as I'm publicly speaking to them? Right? Or what exactly happens when I do take my last breath? We fear the unknown. Or maybe we fear these things because what if we lose one of our loved ones to death and then we are all alone ourselves? You see, Christ's disciples experienced all three of these fundamental roots of fear in the midst of the moments that led up to Christ's death And even after his resurrection, they were still very fearful. This morning, we're going to be looking at Luke uh, chapter 24. It's the last chapter in the book of Luke. Um, We're going to be uh, peering into a story, an interesting story, because interesting enough, it's Jesus' closest companions, his friends, um, these 11 that he called disciples. But it was the 11 who were fearfully um, cowarding in the midst of a turmoil of a situation. Eleven men who would then later powerfully proclaim the gospel. But as we open up this, this story, let me, let me set the scene a little bit, right? There, there, really, there were twelve originally, right? But, but Judas was no longer at this point, 
right? Judas had a fear of the unknown. Jesus wasn't exactly what uh, the Jews would have expected of this Messiah. So, so Judas was kind of sitting back. He was a close follower. He had seen Jesus do these miraculous things, but, but something is, is, is striking a chord of fear in Judas, and he doesn't like uh, what Christ is becoming, so he decides uh, to hand Jesus over, right? He barters him away for 30 pieces of silver because of his fear of this unknown situation. Then there was Peter, right? Peter at the, the end, right, the trial. Um, we, find, see, we see Peter, after Jesus has been taken away, we see Peter come into the courtyard. And there's a, a servant girl that leans over to Peter and says, hey, aren't, aren't, you one of, aren't you one of his followers, the one that's on trial right now? And no, 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 that, that, that's not me. Then in front of a crowd, she says, no, I think you are. And the crowd around the fire says, yeah, yeah, aren't you one of them? No, 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 that's not me. And then a third time. No, that's, that's not me. Three times Peter denies Jesus because he fears what might happen. What might happen if they, if they, uh, they know that I'm a follower of who Jesus is? If I really believe in this Christ, this one that's on trial right now. What might happen if they know I'm one of his? And he denies him even after he had been told by Jesus himself, you would do just that. You know, to be quite honest, the whole story of, as the Gospels end and they share this, this time in Christ's life where he goes through this massive amount of pain and he is tortured and he's hung upon a cross, the disciples are just non-existent. We can't find them anywhere in the story. In Luke 23, verse 49, if you want to peek over there, it says that all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a, a distance watching Almost all of the gospel accounts record a small amount about the women being nearby, um, but there's really no specific mention of where these, these men are. We do hear one, one mention of that in one of the gospels about Jesus telling John to take care of his mother, but there's no, hey, these guys, these guys aren't, there's no validity given that, hey, we, we, want, to, we want, to, want you to know that this is the Christ. You don't hear them speaking up for him. No, they are simply non-existent. So I can only imagine that from a distance, the men watched. They watched as Christ, the one that had called them to come and follow, the one that they had followed for three years, was beaten, was tortured, was hung upon a cross, when he cried out in pain, when he suffered ridicule, and ultimately when he died. Even after this, though, it was not the men that went to the tomb, right? On Sunday, it was the women that went to the tomb to offer up these fragrances and spices to put on, to, on the body. And it was only after the, woman, the women came running to the men and said, Guys, he's not there, the body's not there, that Peter and John go, go running to check it out. But even then, they run back and they go into a room. And here's what we learn in the Gospel of John in chapter 20, verse 19. It says this. On the evening, all right, so this is the Sunday that Christ has risen. On that evening, that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear for the Jewish, for, for fear for the Jewish leaders. So here they are. The body's not there. They've seen this situation. Christ has told them of what is going to take place. But what's happened? They've locked themselves in a room, and they're sitting there in fear. And that's where we'll pick up our story this morning. So if you would, let's look at Luke uh, chapter 24, starting in verse 36. I want to re read this to you. 
It says, while they were still talking about Jesus, uh, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Then moving down into verse 44, it says, He said to them, This is what I told you. While I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophet and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send to you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So what exactly does this story tell us about Jesus or about fear or about how we as humankind uh, handle fear? I believe first it tells us this, that Jesus brings peace in the face of our fear. At my house, we have a nightly routine of putting down our two-and-a-half-year-old. Mom will rock her in the rocking chair and sing her a couple songs after she has first recited uh, a prayer. And then mom will lay her in the bed and That's where dad gets to take over, and I I step in, and I I rub her back, and I sing her a few songs, and I give her a kiss, and then I walk out of the room. Well, in the last few months, my daughter's vocabulary is just ever-expanding, and she's learning more and more, and the other evening, as I was doing this normal routine, I was rubbing her back, and I sang her her couple songs, and I began to walk out the room after I gave her that little kiss on the forehead. She looked at me, and she looked up at the ceiling, and she said, Daddy, I'm scared. And I thought I'd never heard her say that before. And I looked at her, and after my heart melted uh, for a moment, right, it was naturally instinctive of who I was to lean down into my daughter and whisper in her ear, you don't have anything to be afraid of. Daddy will be right outside protecting you. In Luke chapter 24, verse 36, it said this. It said, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. The disciples' fear had gotten the best of them. Their actions said the same thing my daughter said to me that night, daddy, I'm scared, or we're scared of this situation. And that's why Jesus' initial words are so very important. Peace be with you. Jesus brings us peace. He didn't condemn them for not being there in the midst of his most difficult moments. He didn't come on heavy asking questions about why they hadn't told people that he would rise or proclaim that truth. No, he simply met them where they're at in this locked room and he said, peace be with you. It's been said that peace is not the absence of trouble, but instead it is the presence of Christ. So what are your fears? Maybe you fear the collapse of this nation, right? One look at the headlines. Motorcycle gang shootings, terrorist groups attacking once again, political corruption, global warming. We look at our modern America, the thing that many men did fight and die for, and we wonder, is the land of the free always going to be so free? Or maybe fear surrounds you in the light of 
a bad diagnosis from the doctor, or a, a past addiction that's beginning to rear its ugly head again, or a conversation about the faith that you have been putting off for far too long. Wherever you're at this morning, the same words come to us. Peace be with you. Isaiah reminds us of that promise saying this, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. But not only does Jesus bring peace, Jesus shows himself to us in our fear. Have you ever watched a suspenseful movie? Right? It's one of those movies that kind of leaves you hanging on the edge of your seat. And you're watching it, let's say, with your, your significant other. Right? You're in the, maybe your dimly lit living room and you've got the TV on. Or, or you're at the movie theater. and You're, you're at the moment where the, the score and the, the music is starting to speed up. Right? The, the tension is starting to build. and uh, You can kind of feel your hands sweating a little bit. But suddenly you're kind of taken aback and you, you kind of step back and you look at your significant other watching the movie and you can tell they're into it, right? Their fist is clenched. They're right on the edge of their seat. Um, it's almost as if you can see their heart pumping, right? They're, they're getting a little nervous. So what do you do? You lean over, right? And you go, ah, right? Right at the last moment. You want, you want to get them to laugh or you want to get them to jump out of their seat. And that's usually what they do. They jump out of their seat ready to slap you or they sit back down at the theater and they throw their elbow into your side like, why did you do that? Our situation this morning with Jesus' disciples seems quite similar. Here they are, boarded up in a room together, discussing what to do next, when suddenly a figure appears to them and says, Peace be with you. In the suspense of the moment, they are thinking, This has got to be a ghost. The doors are locked. How did he get in? I can see this scene of the disciples jumping up and cowering in the corner. It seems similar to the one we talked about in Peter's uh, story of when we talked about doubt a few weeks ago, right? Here they are, they're scared, they're cowering in the boat. They think they have seen a ghost. The same is true here. But Jesus shows himself to them. In verse 39, it said, look at my hands. See my feet, touch me. If, if, I, was, it, right, if I was a ghost, I wouldn't have flesh, and I have flesh. It's me, it's Jesus. So the next time that you begin to fear, uh, you begin to, to have a struggle of, of what's going to go, what's going to go on now? I'm, 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 I'm scared. Jesus is going to physically show himself to you. I don't know about that. I wish I could tell you that. Wouldn't that be nice to, to have Jesus walk to us and say, here I am, and show us him, himself physically? But what I do know is that the psalmist said, I sought the Lord and he answered. He delivered me from all of my fears. You see, in this present moment, we may not have the pleasure to stand in the presence of Christ and to have our fears stripped away by touching him, seeing his nail-scarred hands and knowing that he is real and he is working in the midst of our fear. But if it is the fear of death and a diagnosis maybe of cancer, we can know that in John 11, verse 25, it says, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Or if it is the fear of the unknown, like how will you pay those bills or how will you keep the roof over your head or what, what do you need to do to share the gospel with that hurting friend? We can know the truth that is said in Philippians 4. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in, in, in glory in Christ Jesus. Or maybe your fear leaves you feeling all alone in this world. But we can know, as King David said in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, 
they comfort me. See, Jesus will show himself to us by giving us peace, by bringing us provision, by providing strength, or by comforting us in the midst of that trial or fear. His presence is not just there, it is felt in those moments. It is shown to us. So peace is given, and Christ shows himself to us in the midst of our fear. Both of these remind us that we do not serve a God that is distant, that is far off. We don't serve a God that created the world, stepped back and saw it spinning and said, well, that's cool. No, from the very beginning, God has desired to be in relationship with his prized creation. That's us, humankind. And even in our sin and fear, he loves us. Right? It was Adam and Eve when they, they first sinned in the garden that fear was really felt. Right? They, they hid themselves from God. They were running. They were fearful of what God might think. But through Christ, humankind was brought back into a relationship with God. We have nothing to fear when it comes to our relationship with God. Yet there will still be moments when fear grips us in this world. Right? We are broken. Just as there is still sin in this world, there is still moments of fear in this world. But 1 John 4, verse 18 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. Yet what do we do when human emotion brings forth worry, or brings forth fear, or leaves us in a place where we're not sure what to do next? Christ goes on to remind his disciples that by paying the price, by giving himself up, that they are promised the gift the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was then and is now able to live in us. You see, the same power that worked in Christ now works in us. That's what was promised in verse 49 in Luke 24. It said, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. Or in the Gospel of John, if you would, turn over with me to John chapter 14. It says this, John 14, starting in verse 16. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Then on into verse 20. It says, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You see, the redemptive story of God is a wonderful masterpiece. Through Christ's sacrifice, the Holy Spirit was released to reside in us as God's people, perfecting us and empowering us to face our fears. Peter spoke of that promise as a gift, given when one would repent of their sins and be baptized, which is why we know that the Holy Spirit brings confidence in the face of fear. As the book of Luke ends, the book of Acts picks up. And in Acts 1, verse 8, it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's no little promise that we hear, that we are given a spirit of power. Timothy was told that he was given a spirit, not of timidity, not of, uh, but for God gave us, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This morning, I don't want to gloss over this truth that the spirit that is living in us gives us power and confidence. So 
I'm going to do something a little different. Um, I'm going to have Jonathan. He's going to play uh, a song for us. I'm going to ask you to, if you'd like to close your eyes uh, and hear these words as they're spoken, um, or if you want to turn your head to the screen, those lyrics will be playing on the screen. But it's an opportunity for us to reflect on that truth, that the same power that lived in Christ, that worked in Christ while he was on this earth, now lives within us. raging at my feet and I can feel the breath of those surrounding me and I can hear the sound of nations rising up we will not be overtaken we will not be overcome the same power that rose Jesus from the grave Nothing we can do, yes, we know there are greater things in store. We will not be overtaken, we will not be overcome. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to.
same power lives in us. We all have fears, whether or not you want to admit it, but in Christ, we have nothing to fear. We don't have to fear death, because he is life, and we are made alive in him. We don't have to fear the unknown, because, well, he knows it all. We don't have to fear loneliness, because we are not alone. He lives in us.